Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Today, I want to start off with a bit of a question or so as an opener. So it's kind of an odd one, but let me ask this. Have you ever been a part of a very big inauguration or ceremony? I mean, a college graduation or a police academy graduation or a military graduation or an inauguration of a president. It's a ceremony that is marked with a commencement. Now, how many of you guys have ever stopped to think, we use all sorts of words, but nobody bothered to tell us, what does that really mean? And it's all commencement. And we're like, yeah, commencement. Heard it for the last 50 years, but not quite sure what does a commencement mean. Well, commencement means the starting or the dawning, the originating, the beginning of X, Y, or Z. The definition of inauguration is the formal admission of someone to an office, a position, or a role. And it's always marked with a ceremony, uh, that beginning of a new thing. An inauguration is also marked with a proclamation, an announcement, and many times it is literally sealed with an oath. So today, today we're moving through the kingdom timeline and looking at what was really the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. The inauguration of Jesus was marked by the beginning of His formal ministry here on planet Earth. There are some important things to take that took place first. First was the Holy Spirit in the shape of a dove came down upon Jesus. The voice of God came, and there's Jesus. Do you know? That this, the baptism of Jesus by his cousin, John the Baptizer, that this was the only place in all 66 books of the Bible that we find all three parts of the Trinity present in one place. This was a very significant thing to the Trinity. Because they were all there. They showed up for the ceremony, for the inauguration. Wow. Well, and secondly, at this incredible event, we find out that the Lord is saying, as, as the Father of heaven, He says, this is my beloved Son. Let me say it in another way. This is my Son. I love my Son. That's what He's doing. He's not just saying, my beloved. He's saying, no, I love my kid. He's like going, you know, like the father's at Little League and the kid hit a home run and he's in the stands. He's not in the stands no more. He's on top. He's that's my boy as he's around in third base. That's what God is doing right here. This is my beloved son. And then he says, in whom I am well pleased. And I like this part. So listen to him. Listen to what he says. We'll get into that more. 
And immediately following this incredible celebration, this incredible inauguration, and everybody who's around is kind of like, I didn't know what's going on. They're all kind of like in a daze. You can only imagine there was a bit of a fog. And there's the, bat, the, the cousin, John the Baptist. Can you imagine? He's like going, oh my gosh. Because he's not going to say the other one, right? And he sees this ray, and he sees this dove, and then he hears the voice. Can you imagine what he must have been thinking? I just told you, Jesus, I'm not worthy to be doing this. Now look, I don't want to even be around you. This is crazy. Wow. So after this incredible encounter, Jesus takes off. And for 40 days and for 40 nights, he doesn't eat. He fasts. And the scripture tells us that he was hungry. Well, let me bring a better understanding. It meant that he was starving. 40 days, don't eat. You're starving. And it's here when he's at his most vulnerable. It's here when he's so weak that he begins to be tested. So today, as, as, as we get a front row seat to learn from Jesus and consider how he handled the inauguration and how he handled the testing, testing of his role in the kingdom, that we begin. Well, Lord, I pray that we would have ears to really hear what you want us to hear. That it would become personal to us. Lord, that we would have a heart that would be in synergy with you. That we would be in perfect rhythm and comprehending and understanding probably one of the greatest truths of this event, of this inauguration that not only do you love Jesus, but you actually love us. So Lord, I pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In Jesus' name. Well, the first thing here is, we, as we begin to look at Jesus in this, we, we find out that Jesus humbled himself. So let's look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. Then Jesus went to Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. Hey, 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 hey cousin. I'm not doing this, man. Don't, don't make me do this. What are you? We can't. This is crazy. And this is what happens. I'm the one who needs to be baptized to you, by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? This is backwards. But Jesus said, man, isn't that powerful? But Jesus said, it should be done. For we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. So Jesus requests John to baptize him, not because Jesus was sinful, but to give an example to his followers. This was Jesus' obedience to the Father and his humility to the Father. It was all on display for everybody there to see. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people, 
Everybody, including the people from centuries later who would read about it today. Humility. It's undeniable. It's an undeniable component to great leadership. If I ever watch a sporting event, and I, I see somebody out there, and there's just an arrogance about them. I don't care how talented they are. I, I kind of just push away from wanting to be the fan. But when you give me somebody like sweetness, oh, Walter Payton, humble. I'm telling you, when you're kids, and you're like, who do you want to be? I want to be like sweetness. I want to be like, why? He was humble. Probably the greatest running, greatest running back ever to play the game. But he was humble. Give all the credit to those five down linemen. Most of them weren't any, even any good. But he was humble. Humility. Humility. It was a key component even for Paul as he shared it to the Philippian church. Let's look in Philippians chapter 2. Though he was God, he did not think of God Think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he, meaning Jesus, gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He's going, listen, this humility didn't just start at baptism with in in the jordan with his cousin john it goes all the way back to heaven where there he was he was the prince he was second in charge and yet he saw the need he goes i i, I don't cling to my position I, I don't cling to my royal status the father has a need and he says, I need you to go. He says, I go when and when, when where, how, I'm, I'll jump. Complete submission. Completely humble. That's the sign of a great leader. Humble. It's not about me. It's about him. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Even to the point of the cross. Some people just kind of think that Jesus didn't have this part of being because he was fully God and fully man. They, they, they don't think that he really felt what he was about to do. When he's in the garden of Gethsemane, and there he is. Literally, it says that there were droplets of blood on his head because of the stress. He says, oh God, if this cup can pass by. What's he saying? I don't want to die. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to be flogged. I don't want them to beat me and rip my beard out. But not my will. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Do you see the humility? You see the submission and obedience? He willingly stepped out of that position in heaven. He took on that position of a slave, of a human. So why do you think Christ humbled himself over and over and over again? 
Well, let's read 1 John 3.16. This is not John 3.16. This is 1 John 3.16. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Why did he do it? Because he loves you. Jesus humbled himself because of his love for you. John chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, 17. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him, meaning Jesus. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. We see that when Jesus was raised from the water, The Spirit of God descended like a dove. It settled on Jesus. And then we hear the voice of God, the Father of heaven. And he says, this is my dearly loved Son. He brings me great joy. I mean, talk about inauguration. Talk about a ceremony. Wow. And nobody came dressed for the event. (laughs) There was a voice. There was a voice. There was a voice. A voice from heaven that was proclaiming his approval and his love for his son. This this incredible passion that God the Father has, it literally busts through the divine realm and comes down to the natural realm because it's passion, his love for his boy. He's so proud of him. He so loves him. He can't help it. He has to express, hey, that's my boy around in third base. That's my boy. And I'm so pleased. And I so love him. Do you know he feels that way about you? Look at my girl. She's rounding third. He loves us all. Now, the enemy of your soul, I'm telling you, that's going to be the very first thing he's going to try to steal from you. He's going to try to rip you off. He's going to make you be insecure about the truth about his great love for you. God is affirming Jesus' position as his son. And God's declaring that Jesus is the object of his affection, of his approval. And the same God who burst through with love for Jesus at his baptism is the same God who has that kind of great love for you. You are loved by God of the universe. God is so moved. God is so motivated by his love for you. that He did what he had to do to save you. Even to the cross. Wow. So let's look at Romans 8. I mean, sometimes we, we don't understand how much God is for us. 
Verse 39, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. Do you understand? Nothing. Nothing can separate you. But I've sinned, pastor. Well, so have I. But I'm sorry, there's no exceptions. My sin doesn't make him stop loving me and it doesn't make him stop loving you. Here's the other one. And it doesn't give you permission or give you a license to be a sinner all the time. That's foolishness. If he loves you, aren't we to love him? Not to take advantage of his grace and his mercy? Now I'm going to shift a little bit. Nothing makes you question reality more than the word, only two letters. Nothing makes you question reality more than the word if. The word if has a natural tendency to be saturated with doubt, with suspicion, with the fear of great loss instead of possibility. So let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. And here's the enemy of our soul. This is him coming in now. We've, we're leaving the Jordan River, and now we're exiting in, or entering into the wilderness. It's been 40 days, and here we pick up the story. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. means he was starving. During that time, the devil came and said to him, here it is, two letters, if, if, what? We, we, we just went 40 days earlier where we had a declaration, we had a proclamation, we had an inauguration where it said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And what does Satan start off right there in the wilderness when he's vulnerable, he's weak, he hasn't eaten for 40 days? And he says, uh, if, if you are the Son of God, excuse me? The last interaction he has with, with humanity and with God, they're being baptized, is, I declare you the Son of God. The first, well, if you're really the Son of God. Why don't you make those stones, why don't you turn them into bread? Wow. If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. See, the testing in the wilderness began with Satan attacking the foundation that was established in Jesus' baptism. Satan says, if you're the son of God, how dare you? If Jesus seriously questioned, if he seriously doubted whether he was really loved by God, that he was really the Son of God, then Satan wins. Then Satan's the victor. And Satan can take over his life. Satan can take over his calling. Satan can take over what he was going to do on the cross. Satan doesn't just win over Jesus. He wins all of us. Do you understand the significance of this one little sentence that starts off with if? How many times have you been challenged in your faith? If you're really a Christian, 
If you're really a child of the king, if really you believe this stuff, am I making it up? Have you ever had those thoughts? You're in good company. So did Jesus. Satan attacks us when we're at our weakest. He's evil. That's how it is in, in brutal war. You find the weak points. Try to take advantage of people when they're vulnerable. It's horrible. But Jesus, he comes back and he says, verse 4, but Jesus told him, I just love this, but Jesus told him, but Jesus told him, no, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now here's something you got to catch. Did you not know that you need to feed the both of you? And when I mean that, there is not just one Coleman in the natural. There's another Coleman who is spiritual. So Coleman has to feed naturally his human body. But according to Jesus here, he also needs to feed his soul by the very word of God. And the same with you. People do not live by bread alone. It's not saying bread and meat. It's saying what? The Word of God. The Word of God. The question is, when we begin to question God's love for us, that's when we become susceptible. That's when we become vulnerable. Folks, everybody's going to face a tsunami in life. If I was to begin to ask you, can you tell me about something that, that really stands out that was a really negative event, a great loss in your life? You know everybody in every pew would have a story. We all have that. The question there is, are you going to say, but I'm going to stand on the Word of God? I'm going to stand on the Word of God that, God, you're going to be victorious in this. You're going to do something great in spite of this. I look out here and I see so many people who've gone through so many struggles, including our family. I look at, there's, there's Jack and Nikki and they've gone through their struggles and I look over, obviously, everywhere I go, everywhere, including Walter, everywhere I look, I see somebody who's been struggling with all the different accidents and injuries as well as sickness and disease, loss of life and family. I don't eat bread alone. The Word of God. It's what's going to lift me out of the pit. It's in those dark times. Hold on to the Word of God. That's what Jesus said. Can you imagine? Didn't eat for 40 days. He says, hey, hey, hey. Yeah, I'm hungry. I want a Big Mac. No doubt about it. But there's something more. The Word of God. 
It's why I had Larry come up here and share about life journaling. It's not just men's ministry. It's every one of us pour our heart into the Word of God. Write it down. What will it do to you? It will take you from this position to an upright position in your soul. I'm not telling you something you don't know. Embrace that. Not as conv- more as conviction, not as, as condemnation. I get why sometimes we get so discouraged and we just pull away, or we get so tired and we just get busy with life. I get all that. But realize the enemy's still trying to steal from you. You can't fast forever. So don't fast the Word of God. So there's three tests. We went and looked right here at the test of desire. But now let's look at the next test that Jesus faces. This is the test of trust. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 5 and 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. Here it is again, the two-letter word, if. And again, the same, if you are the son of God. Now, he, he actually goes up the ante. For the scriptures say, did you not know that sometimes there are people in your life who will give you a word that they say is from God? And really what they've done is twisted the scriptures for their own personal benefit? you got to be careful who you listen to, folks. He will, he says, for the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with his hand so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Man, that's a good scripture, Satan. Woo! I love Jesus, though. Look how he comes back. And Jesus responded. The scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. And another version says, you must not put your, put your God to a foolish test. Wow. Mm. Can you not tell Jesus has studied the word? So Satan's second test focuses on Jesus' trust of who God is. Satan tempts tempts Jesus to throw himself down from a high point, to expect the angels to catch him and to save him. Satan's inviting Jesus to question God's protection and care. And Jesus, again, he combats it with the word of God. Don't fight the devil with your human logic. Fight him with the word of God. With the promises of God. With the Holy Scriptures. So here's the next test. This is the test of power. And this is Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 10. So next, round 3. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Now catch what he says here in verse 9. I will give it all to you. He said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Now I'm gonna catch, I want you to catch here. Jesus does not argue or dispute the ownership of the power and the glory that Satan is testifying about. 
He does. He's got it. Thank you, Adam and Eve. And Jesus doesn't argue. Verse 10. Get out of here, Satan. Mm, I love this part. Jesus told him, For the Scriptures say, For the Word of God says, You must worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. He's quoting out of Exodus chapter 20. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't argue. You don't need to argue with the enemy. Claim the Word of God. Just claim the Word of God. This is a, that final test was the final test of who would have the power. And Satan offers Jesus an unprecedented amount of power if only he would bow the knee. If only he would worship Lucifer. Again, Jesus combats the test by quoting Scripture. That God is the only one worthy of worship. Only one worthy of worship means you cannot worship anything else. Or anyone else. However, we like Jesus must remind ourselves that when we are weak, actually we are strong. The kingdom of heaven's empowerment is vastly different than the worldly power. Jesus was physically weak. He hadn't eaten or drank for 40 days. That's a long time. I've done a 10-day fast. And I haven't done one in a long time, as you can tell. But I'll tell you something. Talk about weak achy and headaches, all that stuff. Those of you who fast, you know what I'm talking about. But I'll tell you what. Jesus went right to the Word. And while He was weak, He went to the Word, which made Him strong. And when you're down and out, and the tsunamis of life and the tempests of life just keep coming upon you, Quote the Word of God while you're weak. And as you quote the Word, you become strong. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. See, the kingdom of heaven, its empowerment is totally different than the kingdom of darkness. See, the kingdom of heaven is filled with love. It's, it's filled with joy, with peace and grace and mercy. And the list goes on and on. It's also true that there are very real adversaries that come against the kingdom and to the people that it represents. And yes, it also comes with attacks of great temptation. There are many of us who continue to struggle after giving our lives to Christ. Let me say it another way. We say things in our head and into ourselves and privately we say, why do I still sin? Why do I keep falling short? I mean, after I committed my life to Christ and His kingdom, I thought I was a new creation in Jesus. I thought the old was gone. Now, while this is true, 
You are a new creation. It's also true that the old ways don't die off without a fight. Listen to the Apostle Paul as he describes this war within. Let's look at Romans chapter 7. Start at verse 15. I don't really understand myself, Paul says. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, that shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Verse 18. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. And if you were to do the laws of opposites, that would be what? That there could be a righteous nature. Have you ever noticed that spiritual righteous nature always wants to do what's right of God, but the sinful nature always wants to do what's wrong? That little, how many guys remember the old cartoon Popeye? You guys remember that? There would be a Popeye devil and a Popeye angel, one on each other. I think it's great theology. One whispering in this ear, one whispering in that ear. That's this scripture. Right here, Paul is describing Popeye. Verse 18, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. If this is the Apostle Paul, and this is his experience, then we can, can we expect that we're going to have it differently? His description of the sin nature and the internal battle we all fight, it, it's, it's eerily relatable. When you add this tension to the spiritual adversaries set against the kingdom, you realize how important it is to stay grounded in the love and in the truth of God and in the word of God. As in doing our devotions. Stay focused. Stay humble. Stay vigilant over the areas in your life where the ifs try to creep in. And try to minimize the reality of who you are and what you are in the kingdom of God. And who you are and what you mean to the Lord. As we sang today, he's a good, good father. And what does it say? That's who I am. That's who, what is that? What do we mean when we say that's who I am? I am loved by God. I'm loved by the Father. That's who I am. That's who I am. That's who I am. Another practical step to take that we see modeled by Jesus is, is to spend really not just time like reading a newspaper but but really body soul and spirit in that devotion remember this powerful truth look at me at matthew chapter 4 verse 4 then jesus told him no the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of god it's the scriptures. 
It's the scriptures. It's the scriptures. There came a point in time way back that there was a church, Catholicism, where they spoke everything in Latin. They did all these things. And they made it so that you had to come to the priest or to the organization and they would read and tell you what it meant. But Jesus didn't want it to be that way. He wants you to read the Word of God. He wants to speak to you directly about what He thinks and feels. He wants you to experience the Holy Spirit. He wants you to know that you, as His son, as His daughter, you can hear His voice. When you have to make a decision, do I go this way in my future? Do I go that way? How do I pray for him? How do I pray for her? What about this? What about that? That you could go to to the king of the kingdom and he would show you. He would speak to you. He would assure you. Not an organization. Not a pastor. Praise God for pastors. I like them. I'm one of them. But you need to feed both of you, your natural body and your spiritual body daily. Don't just just eat food. Eat the Word of God. And remember, because of Christ, because of Christ, the Father loves you. And is pleased with you. And there's nothing that can separate you from the love of the Father. Well, Lord, we come before you as we pray. And we lift up your holy name. Father, of all the ways that you could describe the second part of the Godhead, the Son, that you would do it in such an inauguration with incredible pomp and circumstance, Lord, that it would draw our attention to understanding this was so big that you burst through the divine to say, that's my kid. That's my son. I'm so proud. Oh, I so love and then we go to John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will have everlasting life. Lord, because of the cross, you love us with the same intensity and passion as you love Jesus. So Lord, our examples Jesus no matter how much we feel that we're starving in life and that things are coming up short and there's just nothing to sustain us, to give us nutrition, Lord, help us to realize there's more to be consumed than just food, that it's the Word of God. Oh, give us, a, Lord, a, an urgency. Lord, that we could even just read one verse over and over and over again. And that you would begin to change us. And we could fight over and fight against, just like Paul did. The war within. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I do want to do, I'm not doing. He, He talked about it. 
But because of the word of God, your grace is enough. Lord, for all of us, if we are struggling with this and we just go, you know what? That needs to be me this week. I want to spend more time in the word of God. I want to be more passionate about the word of God. If that's you, would you raise your hand, lift up? Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Father, I just pray for everybody, Lord. Who's, there's, Lord, almost everybody's raising their hands. Lord, I just pray. Speak to your people this week. Ignite their passion for the kingdom and for the king. And Lord, when we're weak, because of the word of God, we now become strong. Bless your people in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.